when was the last time you played? Uh, today? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how not to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I was just running a psychological safety through work um, by playing workshop for ATD Sacramento literally like an hour and a half, two hours ago. And I was just making up new stuff as we were, we were like <laughs> kind of going off the fly because it was a different group, right? And with everything that you do, like I start my day with playing. A lot of times I start my day by making a TikTok video because that's like my creative outlet. That's I'll fun. create something to start my day. And that frames my day through the lens of play. So then I see everything as play. Welcome to Lead with a Dash of Play. Here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. My guest today is Jeff Harry, who has been working for over 15 years to help people infuse more play into the day-to-day -day of work. The list of companies Jeff has worked with includes Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Amazon, and Facebook, and he has been named as one of the top 100 HR influencers. I love thinking of framing your day through the lens of play right from the very beginning. Yeah. And there's this phenomenal um, coach slash uh, therapist, Khan Rap Ram Kisun, Ram Kisun, out of L.A., out of Long Beach, actually. And they uh, suggested once to me, like, see your day as improv, like, like go outside and see it as a an improv stage or and just. And I used to do that. I'd done that at conferences and it changes your whole frame of mind right. because you're like, let me try this out. Instead of me being like my regular professional self, let me just try saying random stuff that comes to my mind and see, see what happens. Right. Yeah. And that's when like the magic happens. Like I literally was sitting, uh, you know, I've been talking for the last, I've been traveling around for the last eight weeks, speaking at all these SHRM conferences, all these HR conferences. I was in Illinois at a SHRM conference. They're having, we're having lunch. The guy is speaking. A lot of people are like kind of dozing off because, you know, they're eating. So they're getting kind of tired. Um, and, um, I was excited because I opened up my box and there was a cookie inside. I was like, ooh, a cookie. I was just so happy <laughs> there was a cookie. And I go, look at this cookie. Um, I sang it more so to myself. But then everyone else was like, I don't have that cookie. Right. <laughs> oh, no. and, and we all had these takeaway lunches that were in these boxes yeah. and no one else got a cookie <gasps> in their box. So I was like, y'all want cookies? And they're like, no, you know what? No, I'm not sure. Well, maybe, maybe we want them. And I was like, I'll go. And I just went in and just started taking cookies out of all these takeaway boxes <laughs> that were going to get thrown away. And I just started yeah. passing them out to everyone on our table. And after I did that, someone was like, do you want to get hired? Can I hire you? <laughs> and someone was like, what workshop are you running? I want to come to your workshop. Like, you know, like just improving the day and. 
I changed the mood for that table by just following my play and following my curiosity. I love that. And there's something that feels very uh, like it's kind of releases the the stress and the pressure yeah. of work to say, I'm experimenting. I'm going to see right. how this responds. Right, I, right. I, I define play as any joyful act where you forget about time, you know, where you're fully immersed in the moment, where you are fully in flow. You are in your zone of genius, as Gay Hendricks says, right? Yeah. But I also see play as the opposite of perfection. And I was just talking about this in the psychological okay. safety workshop. That's where all the suffering comes from, the constant perfection, you know, which is what is perfection rooted in ego, shame, constantly being right, never wanting to be wrong, never wanting to make a mistake. What does that even mean? Right. And play is rooted in curiosity, awe, experimentation. That's where innovation comes from. That's where creativity comes from. That's where all of the great ideas that that created such amazing organizations come from. And I think a lot of people forget that. Right. Yeah. And I always talk about Google's 20 percent rule that they started with where they gave their staff 20 percent of their time to do whatever they wanted. And in that time, um, as long as it benefited Google, here's 20 percent of time. Here's eight hours. And what came from that? Google AdSense, Gmail, Google News, Google Earth, you know, the yeah. foundations of Google came from play. I don't think a lot of people realize that's the level of power play can have, you know, in an innovative and creative environment. Love that. I've also seen you write about play as a way to heal workplaces. Yeah. And I love that term heal in particular. I don't often see that. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So work sucks. I don't know if you got in the memo, but a lot of people <laughs> are saying work sucks. And I've been saying this HR people, they're like, yeah. And I was like, no, I don't think you understand how angry like Gen Z millennials, heck, Gen Xers, even boomers are like frustrated with work. You can simply go on right. TikTok and type in hashtag work sucks or hashtag <laughs> I quit. And just like tens of thousands of videos just yeah. explaining how painful work yeah. is, right? And on top of it, there's so much toxicity, right? So much right. toxic masculine leadership. I literally was just talking about this, um, about Twitter. Like, let's just talk about Twitter for just a yeah. moment, right? Like, he takes over on Friday. He starts firing people on Friday. By Monday, he realizes he fired too many people, and now he's asking some people back. Like, would you mm -hmm. come back after you got fired over the weekend? And the way he even fired people was he didn't even send them an email. He just cut off Slack and their and their email address. So some right. people weren't even able, able to say goodbye. Uh -huh. So talk about not feeling seen or heard, appreciated and valued, right? right? So you have to heal that. And there's so right. much of that that happened throughout the pandemic. I tell leaders all the time, like, ask your staff, did you gain trust or did you lose trust during this pandemic? Mm. Like what happened during that time? What is the worst behavior you're currently tolerating right now? Because mm -hmm. that is setting the tone for your culture. So there's all this like pain and trauma that we've never even got to reflect on, right? All the right. mourning, let alone the mourning of losing people, but also potentially losing your job, losing what used to be your organization. Now it's changing. Maybe you're still at an organization like Twitter, but it doesn't feel the same anymore. Right. Like there's just a mass exodus. So there's so much healing that has to take place 
we need to do a lot of that work right now instead of rushing to the next thing. Because I feel like right. we just kind of skipped over COVID. Like, like it wasn't okay, a once it's done. In a, exactly. <laughs> and also that it wasn't a one in a century pandemic, right? Yeah. Like we didn't even address that. And we're trying to get back to work. Like there's got to be more healing. There's got to be more reflection. There's got to be more of like, what mistakes did we make and how do we fix them? And the organizations that do that will thrive and the organizations that choose not to will become obsolete, in my opinion. Yeah. How does play work into the healing yeah. process for an organization? Well, take, for example, you know, something like navigating difficult conversations, right? I was talking to a football player that was presenting at a conference, mm -hmm. and I was like, how long do you guys practice for your game on Sunday? They have a three-hour game on Sunday. They yeah. practice all week for the three-hour game. All week. Yeah. We never get to practice. We never get to practice how to have a hard conversation. We never get to practice mm -hmm. how to confront someone that's toxic. We never get to practice how to set boundaries mm -hmm. with our boss. All these things mm -hmm. are ways. And the way you do that is through play, through repetition, through experimentation, through trying something out, through it being messy. I don't think a lot right. of times people realize how messy it sometimes has to get in order for you to address issues. And instead what we do is we tiptoe around issues and we run a lot of nice meetings. And by nice, I mean the acronym, nothing important can emerge, right? Mm -hmm. You've been at those meetings where it's just like yes. a waste of time. Like we're talking about the same thing. No one's doing anything about it. And then we're back at the meeting again. How do right. we change that from nice meetings to kind meetings where we're looking out for one another, where we get each other's back, where if someone cuts you off, you're like, excuse me, you know, Mary was speaking. Can we let her finish before you start taking over the conversation again? Mm -hmm. And let's actually start to have these harder conversations. And all of this has to be um grasp and embrace through a play oriented mindset because it's going to be messy as we walk through this. I appreciate a few things with that. One is that you, in identifying what that we need at practice, you've taken off the pressure of being perfect. Yeah. Perfect the first time, right? And you've said, we're, we're going to be imperfect. That's what practice is for, is to try things and yep. to see what works and to see what doesn't work and to shift our behaviors accordingly. And I also want to just raise up that, that distinction between nice and kind Kindness can include clarity. It can yes. include holding people to guidelines or expectations. Yes, accountability. Yep. It can include accountability. Whereas, as you defined the acronym of of nice, right? I picture the meeting where nobody wants to ruffle any feathers. Yep. So they don't say the things that need to be said. Yep. So everyone's being polite. Everyone doesn't want to rock the boat or offend the toxic person in the room. But because of that, then. You, everyone's just wasting time, you know, right. and I just literally told this group of people I was speaking to, I was just like, cancel nice meetings. That's one of the best things you could do for psychological safety. Just start canceling these meetings because you save them time. You then provide them autonomy to do right. what they want to do. Right. Like when I talk about incorporating play in the workplace, it's not forced fun. I hate forced fun. Right. But play is this idea of providing your staff the space to do work their way, to give mm. them the playground, right? 
to be mm-hmm. like, all right, solve this problem, but I want you to experiment, figure it out because it's because the world is massively changing. And the thing is, is like mm-hmm. if you want innovation that you need to be messy and you need to also give a chance for your staff to shine in their own way. And that's when staff feel really seen and heard and appreciated and valued. And I say appreciated and valued because appreciated is that whole idea of languages of appreciation and me thanking you in that moment. And then the valued part is being like, what is the bigger impact this person is contributing to the work and have you also recognize them for that? That's what's currently missing. A lot of staff do not feel seen, heard, appreciated, or valued in the workplace. And that's why the great resignation continues to happen, even though they're not talking. So what actually happens to our brains when we are in a state of flow or play? So when we go into a state of flow or play, and I'm going to get a little nerdy for a moment, right? We go through something called transient hypofrontality. Uh, transient means temporary. Hypo is talking about underactivity, and frontality is talking about the prefrontal cortex. And when you go through transient hypofrontality, your inner critic actually gets quiet. Your a part Ooh. of your brain actually shuts down. And when that shuts down, that inner critic quits quiet and you get a shot of dopamine and you become highly creative and you start seeing all these possibilities that you didn't see before, right? And they talk about, I think it's like you go through something called the alpha theta state where, you know, all of a sudden you are making connections that you've never thought about making before. You're pulling from your childhood, you're pulling from college, you're pulling from, you know, previous work history and you're just grabbing all these things and it's like your genius is coming out at that moment and that's where all the innovation is you know and you felt this maybe when you've gone running and you're like getting a runner's high you just you just get into this place where everything slows down and you start to see all the connections that you never thought before right right now how do you actually get in flow that is super interesting right so I challenge people to, well, even before this, I challenge first to soothe themselves. They have to okay. calm themselves down. I learned this from uh, the play thought leader, Gwen Gordon, where she was just like, you can't play when you're angry. You can't play when you're sad. You can't play when you're in an anxiety ridden state. Right. So mm-hmm. what actually calms you down? Right. Is that going for a walk? Is that taking a shower? Mm-hmm. You know, when do you get a flood of ideas? Is that when you're dancing in your room and in costume? Like, what is it? Yeah. Right. So what what soothes you? And then as soon as you identify what soothes you, then I challenge you to get bored. And what I mean, <laughs> and this is hard. right? What yep. I mean by getting bored is like stop consuming just for a little bit. Right. So stop looking yeah. at Netflix. Stop binge watching. Stop looking at social media. Stop doom scrolling for five to ten minutes. So let's just start there. And if you say, I don't have five to 10 minutes, look at your phone. It tracks. You are, you're on your phone five (laughs) hours, six hours a day. You got, you got time. You got, you got plenty of time. Right. Um, and then get bored. And when you get bored, you allow that inner child to start speaking and it starts Mm. saying all these nerve sided ideas to you. Right. 
yeah. nerve-sided ideas like start a podcast, right? <laughs> email <laughs> that person you've always wanted to email, right? Yeah. Reach out to that person, you know, yeah. like like do things that scare that that make you nervous and excited, right? Yeah. That scare you a little bit. And then regardless of what happens, right? Like I emailed Br- Brene Brown last year and was like, "Can I be in your podcast?" It doesn't even matter if she wrote back to me or not. Just the idea of me taking the risk then shows me what fear really is, right? It's just false evidence appearing real. And then you're just like, oh, it's not that scary. Let me do more nerve-sided ideas. And then you start to expand your possibility of getting into flow. And then that cycle, keep returning to that cycle of soothe, get bored, listen listen to your inner child, take advantage of those nerve-sided ideas and you'll find yourself falling into flow. Yeah. So flow, innovation, the confidence to go forward, even if you have a fear, the seeing, valuing, appreciating people, all of those sound like fabulous leadership skills to me. Do you see a connection between leadership and play? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, let's I I love this example. This is my favorite example of play, right? Of like the difference between play and perfection. So a lot of people do not realize that the Wright brothers, who were bike mechanics, by the way, in like Ohio, I believe, yeah. they were competing against Andrew Langley and scientists from the Smithsonian. And Andrew Langley was backed by $500,000 at the time, which now is like would be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. Right. So why did this group of scientists, I believe it was like 50 to 100 scientists led by Andrew Langley trying to build a flying machine, not beat these two bike mechanics out in Ohio by themselves. And it was because these bike mechanics were doing it because they were having fun. They were experimenting. They loved the idea of failing. I mean, heck, the the town at first was laughing at them. But as soon as the town kept seeing more and more flying machines going out and crashing, they started helping them as well. Like, you know, (laughs) as as my uh, as a play mentor of mine, Kevin Carroll would say, you'll find the future where people are having the most fun. Right. So people were gravitating towards them. Meanwhile, like in the scientists are like, we got to get this done. You know, it's all about producing it and we got to be the first. And because they were so focused on perfection, they were not able to achieve. So if you look at the leaders that are most willing to be innovative, it's because they're willing to play. It's because they found a sense of flow. It's because they're willing to experiment. You know, you look at, at, um, Tony Shea from Zappos, who passed away recently, you know, he cared so much about allowing his staff to play at work and focused on on his staff, take care of my staff and everything else will take care of itself. And right. that's what happened. All of his staff started enjoying their work more and more people wanted to work for Zappos. And it became highly successful because he allowed play to thrive at work. I love that. And I've written down that quote you'll find the future where people are having the most fun. Yeah. So, so if you, so if you're like, well, I don't find play really important and it's just like, um, okay, well you either play or you die as an organization. Like really, right? Like, do you want to become the next blockbuster? Do you want to become the next Sears? They chose not to innovate. They could have bought Netflix or competed with Netflix. Heck, 
And they chose not to. They chose not to experiment. And because of that, they became obsolete. Like, that's what I always ask organizations. Are you willing to experiment or are you just going to do the same thing that you did pre-pandemic because it's not going to be relevant anymore and then people will not want to work for you? So how did you get into this space where you are advocating and helping people in creating more playground workplace atmospheres? So my Batman origin story, (laughs) if I had one, do you remember the movie Big with Tom Hanks? Yes. So I saw that in third grade and I was like, you can do that? Like, that's a job? (laughs) Like, you can get to play with toys for a living? And I literally started writing toy companies in third grade. And I just did not stop. I just kept writing them until I got into the toy industry 15 years later, you know, and I don't know if you've ever gotten exactly what you've always wanted and then been so disappointed when you arrived. But like there was no like I was in the toy industry and there was no fun, no toys, no high fives, like just toxic, right? Not psychologically safe, you know, and just not fun. So I remember leaving New York coming to the San Francisco Bay area, bumping into an organization teaching kids engineering through Lego, right? It was just like paying $150 a week. It was a joke of a job at the time, but they were exploring STEM when STEM wasn't a thing. Like no one knew what that was. Um, And we grew it. We grew it from seven people to 400 people. Mm. And it became like the largest Lego inspired STEM organization in the U.S. at one point. And we were constantly experimenting. We were constantly failing. Like we had no idea what we were doing. Right. No business plan. Pick cities we thought were fun. Pick people we thought were fun and just like tried stuff out. And it was successful. And I remember leaving, working for the Obama campaign and then coming back. And then I was like, oh, I want to work with adults. So then I ended up running team building events for like Facebook, Google, Adobe, all these places. And they approached us sometimes and they were like, hey, can you do this? And we'd be like, sure, we do that all the time. No, we didn't. We just said yes to everything. And then we just figured it out after the fact. Right. (laughs) Right. But as I was working with all these top companies from all over the, you know, these amazing companies considered the best in the world. I realized they were not safe places to work. They were Mm. not, they had not created a play environment where people could do really great things. And these are the best companies in the world, right? So I was like, if these companies are not doing it, what is standard companies not doing? So I I created Rediscover Your Play so that I could address really challenging questions like how do you navigate difficult conversations? How do you deal with toxicity and toxic masculine leadership at work? And can you do that through a positive psychology and play lens? How do you address your inner critic so you can be more creative and quiet that mean voice down all of those things um and that's that's the story so you've mentioned the power dynamics that can often be in Mm. place in corporations and i want to spend a little bit more time on that because i know that in my own experience there have been times where i did not feel as comfortable bringing a playful mindset or attitude because of my gender And I'm curious what you've seen in terms of how gender and racial dynamics can intersect with that desire for play and creating safe spaces. Why are you asking me all the great questions? Because you have the answers, right? I mean, 
So I don't I mean, like anything, right? It's all experimental. So so I have answers that have worked for me. I run a workshop called Dudes Do Better, Dismantling Toxic Masculinity at Mm -hmm. Work Through Play. And I address Mm -hmm. address toxic masculine leadership. And this thing that I specifically talk about is how we are so skewed right now to celebrating the leadership qualities of masculinity and specifically toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. right? Profitability, you know, uh, res- very results oriented, um, very competitive, right? Focusing on the individual rather than the than the sum of our parts, right? right. And what we're missing out on and the companies that are going to thrive in the future embrace a divine feminine leadership quality right so um play is divine feminine right collaboration um fostering emotional intelligence intuition is a divine feminine trait where does most you know companies come from following your intuition following your curiosity so we've Mm -hmm. we've gone so far to toxic we've gotten to this toxic masculine level where we're celebrating the elon musks the jeff bezos the mark zuckerbergs the wolf of wall street and where's that getting us like those people are not creating conducive environments i mean they are as toxic as the rockefellers of back in the 30s and 40s right like like why are we celebrating that and why are we not fostering this new type of leadership that holds both. Because if you look at one of the best leaders, I I think right now, it's Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, New Zealand prime minister, able to embrace both her healthy masculine, right? She was very right. clear and deliberate about how she was going to close the borders during COVID. But at the same time, she was very compassionate and empathetic and made sure that her her constituents, right? Her her citizens had the resources so they didn't have to go to work. They weren't forced to go into the office, you know, and and she figured out ways in which to do that in a, as much of a conducive environment that they had the lowest COVID rates in the world. They had the lowest mm-hmm. death rates in the world. And that's what happens when you brace both healthy masculine and divine feminine. And Mm -hmm. I think we need to be having that conversation more and more. So what I say to a lot of leaders, or I'm like, what traits does your staff currently have? And I'll show masculine and feminine traits, and I won't tell them. I'll just show the traits, and then I'll be like, okay, what traits are currently missing from your leadership? How are we fostering those? And then I'll reveal what they are and be like, both are important. Why are we not, not fostering that? Yeah. Thank you. I so appreciate hearing that identification of leadership skills in that way and how important it is. And then the other part, because you started to also talking about like racial, you know, divisions, right. Mm -hmm. Or just like, just address it. Well, we need to address equity. We need to address like, what are we doing around equity and belonging and what does real belonging look like? And I say this all the time is equity is action that creates belonging. And if you're not trying to foster equity on a regular basis, which is different from equality, right? Equality is like everyone gets the same thing. No, equity is identifying what does each person actually need and how are we giving them the resources to do it, right? And the benefit of equity is a great example is like, you know, 
when buildings became ADA compliant and they now had elevators, right? The elevators were for people that couldn't walk or or had trouble walking or in wheelchairs, but it benefited everybody, right? right? Now everyone, you know, and we have to realize equity actually benefits everybody. Like I give this example all the time of my friend Natalie, who um, was a biomedical engineer working for a biomedical firm. Many times they wouldn't listen to her, right? But then she right. finally worked for a firm that actually did. And while they were sitting around trying to figure out how to create an aortic stent, they were like, Natalie, do you have any ideas? Because we can't figure this out. And she's the only woman in the room, right? right. And she was just like, why don't we use a scrunchie? Why don't we use the design <laughs> of a scrunchie? And all these dudes were like, what's a scrunchie? And it was like, yeah. dude, come on. So she passed it around. <laughs> and what ended up happening was that became a multi-million dollar patent. Diversity uh. of perspective. This is why you need to bring people of different backgrounds and different experiences because you're losing it out right now if everyone looks the same because then all of this, all of their ideas are the same. It also strikes me in that description that that there's the the diversity that you're bringing into the room, but that's not the end. That's the beginning because mm -hmm. you match that with the curiosity to learn right. from the voices in the room. And that's a bit of play. Yes, that's a huge amount of play, right? Because yeah. you're going to have to, again, be messy and, and try out many different combinations in order to create a really um, fascinating and diverse panel of leaders, right? But right. what comes from that? better creativity, better innovation, more people feeling seen and heard. And how does that benefit you? Higher productivity, lower retention, and probably increased revenue. How do people connect with you? I create all of my mischief. I make all of my videos and post them on all of all of these channels, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Medium, YouTube, and Twitter, all at the handle at Jeff Harry Plays. So J-E-F-F-H-A-R-R-Y-P-L-A-Y-S. And then if you want to work with me, either individually as we address issues using positive psychology and play, or help make your work suck less, right? Address mm -hmm. some psychological safety issues with your team, then simply go to rediscoveryourplay.com, click on the Let's Play button, and let's set up a time to talk and nerd out and help contribute to creating a more humane, vibrant workplace where shared humanity, compassion, and empathy finally exist at work. Ooh, I love that. Before we end today, could you leave our listeners with one invitation to play at work? Oh. So remember Goodwill Hunting? Mm-hmm. Matt Damon's a genius. And at the and basically he could have any job he wants. And at the end of the movie, he's literally sitting at a construction site with Ben Affleck's character, who's not a genius, and is gonna probably work construction the rest of his life. And um you know, Ben's like, hey, when are you going to take one of these high paying jobs? And Matt's like, I'm not, you know, I'm going to yeah. work construction. You know, we're going to raise our kids at, Fo you know, watch them play baseball at Foley Field. And that's just yeah. what we're going to do. Yeah. And Ben turns to him and he goes, you know, I, I don't I don't want you to get mad at me. We're here. But if I see you here in 20 years, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm literally mm -hmm. going to kill you. And Matt's like, what, what, what are you talking about? What, I owe it to myself because I have this skill? And he's like, no, 
You don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. Mm-hmm. And you owe it to everyone else at this at this site because any of us would give anything to have what you have. You're you're literally sitting yeah. on a winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash that in. Mm-hmm. And my challenge to everyone listening is like you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. There's mm-hmm. something unique about you that when you play in your way, whether at work or outside of work, it frees up, you know, this magic that can actually give permission for other people to do stuff. Right. And Howard Thurman talks about it all the time. You know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is more people to come alive. So what is that thing that makes you come alive? Because when you cash in on that winning lottery ticket, you help give other people permission and the bravery to also do that as well. And that's the impact you can have at work when you're willing to play and when you're willing to allow yourself to get bored, to find what that nerve sighted idea is, because you're not just doing it for you. You're doing it for everyone that you impact, you know, for the rest of your life. And that's really powerful. That is very powerful. Thank you so much for being willing to be on this podcast for sharing your inspiration and joy um, and charging us to do that. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the lead with a dash of play podcast. Reza Zaidi and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled, Holding Rain. This podcast was created out of curiosity, and I hope you'll share your thoughts and questions with me. Email me at mary at maryhendra.com or join the conversation on LinkedIn, redefining play and reclaiming this leadership skill for its potential to bring authenticity and joy into our professional spaces.